Good morning. All right, so <clears throat> by way of reminder, by way of reminder, anyway, hey, my name's Obed, and if you're new, I'm one of the leaders here. Um, and again, thank you so much for coming and deciding to spend this part of your Sunday with us. By way of reminder, next week um, is our kind of big annual Christmas service. Um, we announced it earlier, but I really wanted to emphasize it. Um, it's um, uh, kind of our annual big Christmas service, and obviously we're going to have breakfast from 9 a.m., um, but it's really kind of an opportunity for us to um, host um, a Christmas service that allows us and allows you as members of our church or visit and whatever to invite friends and family during the Christmas holidays uh, more people are likely to attend church um, during this season and so we give an opportunity for you to invite friends and family and so throughout this week man pray um, and invite people um, and let's see what God does with that. All right, we are going to be continuing our series, um, the, our Advent series, and this Sunday, obviously, as you've been, um, as you've noticed, the theme has been love, um, and this Sunday, I am excited to have a special person in our church who will be preaching for us. Um, he goes by the name of Bobby Shook. Bobby Shook, yep. Bobby's been a member for over, what, what, three years or something? Four years, my goodness. And Bobby is an amazing um, individual. He is a servant at heart. Um, he is kind of like a jack of all trades. He knows how to do a bit of everything. Um, um, Bobby is married to Rebecca, and obviously you're going to share, but, but married to Rebecca, and this year they had their first child, Aowen. I think it's the most like amazing name, but she's so cute. Look at her. Lovely. All right. <laughs> So um, Bobby is going to be preaching for us, and you know, if you know Bobby, um, I love Bobby, and I don't need to go on about how awesome he is, because it's really not the right time to do that. Anyway, but he's going to come up, and he's going to be preaching for us, and I'm excited to see God continue to use him um, as he thinks and explores ministry and all those possibilities. And so without further ado, Bobby Shook, everyone. Bobby Shook. Thanks, Obed. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Bobby Shook. <laughs> uh, maybe a jack of all trades. We will see if preaching is one of them. This is my first time preaching, and I'm really excited to talk about love because I think we all have sort of themes in our life. Um, we gravitate towards certain things, maybe your thing is prayer or the sovereignty of God or hope. Um, and sometimes it changes with seasons, but we all kind of have these themes that sort of go throughout our whole life. And for me, I would say if I had to choose kind of the one thing that I've spent the most time on, the, thinking about the most energy on, it would be love for various reasons at different points in my life. But what's crazy about that is in all of the time that I've spent thinking about or considering or researching or learning about love, I have not spent a ton of time on this passage, <laughs> which is crazy because where historically I might, 
If I was defining love, I might take you to 1 Corinthians 13, seems most likely. I think now my perspective has sort of changed, that 1 Corinthians 13 is sort of a result, an outpouring of what love is. And what we see today is the definition of love. So I'm going to read our passage. It's 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And as we do at King's Cross, please stand. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, as we examine this passage, and as I share sort of my thoughts and the things that you've been doing in my heart and my head about this passage, I pray that we will just recognize who you are, recognize your character, and recognize the way that we are meant to be displayers of your character of love. Moving us today, and... uh, Yeah, moving us today. Amen. Uh, you, yeah, you can sit. You, you got it. <clears throat> so the Bible has a lot to say about love. And when I actually first started working on this passage, <clears throat> excuse me, I just sort of verse hopped and was just like looking at all the verses on love. Uh, and then I just stopped doing that because it was too much. Love is just pervasive in scripture. And to put that in perspective, in 1 John alone, we see the word love 46 times. And of those 46 times in our passage today, 
we see 27 of them. And before we get to this passage, we actually see John. So John, John formats his sort of argument slightly differently than, say, Paul. What you see when Paul writes is he's like, hey, believers, I love you. I'm praying for you. Here's my thesis. But John does something a little different. What he does is he gives us sort of the arguments, the results, rather, of his thesis, so that as you approach his sort of thesis statement of the book, you already have like the, the, the results of the thesis statement in your brain. So the two things he spends a lot of time on is the world and brotherly love and how they're different and contentious. And then the second thing he spends his time on is brotherly love, love one another. And love one another is all over in First John. Love your brother Love your fellow believer. So he spends all this time on these two arguments. Uh, I keep saying arguments. He spends all these time on these two themes, right? The world and brotherly love are contentious. Love your brother. And then we get to this passage where John says, okay, why? Why love your brother? Why is this contentious with the world? Because God is love. So if you look at 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So that's that theme of contention. And then if you look at 1 John 3, 11 through 13, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So we see both themes there. Contention with the world and love your brother. So we see these themes, and then we come to this passage, 1 John 4, 7 through 8, where we see his thesis, his theme of the book. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So he takes this idea that he spent three chapters on, this theme that we have to love one another, and he says, why? Because God is love. And for me, this week, as I was thinking about this, and I was reading what really smart people had to say about this, it really sunk into me that love isn't just this aspect of God's character, but love is the very essence of God's character. All of the different things that God is spring from him being love. God is love. 
C.H. Dodd said, to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. And what this means is that God doesn't have to define or figure out or even choose love because love is the very outpouring of God's nature. Walter T. Connor said it better than I could ever say it. There's nothing more important in any religion than the character of its God. Nothing is more fundamental in God than love. Love is the essence of his being, and this is, I think this is the crux here. No thought of God can be inconsistent with love. And this is what's been kind of sticking with me, this idea that pretty much everything God has done, anything God is doing, anything God will do, every action and choice that, God's, that God makes is loving by its very definition because God is love. And then I started to think about existence and the universe. And I was thinking about the story of Scripture and existence, ultimately. I was thinking about artists and how when you study artists, you can see the character of the artist through their art. You examine their art and you look at their brush strokes and their composition and uh, the style that they choose to express themselves in. And it's all expressions of their character. And you can see sort of thematic expressions of their character through their art. And God, what is God but a creator artist, right? I mean, the Bible even says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So we see when God created the world back before we all messed it up, it was perfect, it was good, and it was a perfect expression of his most essential character of God is love. And then he created man, and he said, okay, man is sort of the epitome of the picture, right? We're the image bearers of God. So we're the, we were, not now, we were the best representation of God is love. And then we messed it up. So now we're imperfect representations of God is love. We've messed the picture up. We've messed the image up. And then what does God need to do? So God wants to fix the picture because his art is supposed to represent him, his very innermost character. So he starts to explain to us what it looks like to be a representational image of God is love. And he starts giving us rules and regulations and commands. And you can really start seeing this in Scripture pretty quickly. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus is answering the Pharisees here, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Everything hangs on love. In fact, if we look at the Ten Commandments, we can actually see this too. Don't worship other gods. 
love God. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Love God. Honor your father and mother. Love your father and mother. Don't steal. Love your neighbor. Don't commit adultery. Love your spouse. That was only five of them. There are more. But it all comes back to love. And what's cool is when you think about it in these terms, you can see that John gives us the, the, the best blueprint to understand all of existence in three words. God is love. Actually, while I was prepping, I had a very funny moment. I don't know if any of you know the movie um, Interstellar. Um, but basically, that movie, the, essentially what it boils down to is uh, black holes are love, and the universe is a big love machine, and time is love. And uh, my wife, who is a huge fan of science and space and physics, does not like that movie. But this week, I was like, Interstellar's right. The universe runs on love. So we talked about how we broke this image. We are poor, inadequate, wrong images of God is love. And in order to show us what the correct image should look like, God starts giving us these commands the law, the prophets. But the problem is that's a description of an image. So now we're like police sketch artists trying to draw an image of a person by hearing the description of a person. It's never quite right. The only way we can actually create, draw the image is to see the image as it should be. So John then brings us the image. 1 John 4, 9-12. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So here, not only does John give us the image, or I guess he points us to the image, but he also returns to this theme that we should love one another. But now we have a clearer understanding and a, and, a, and, a, and a more coherent, like, broad strokes understanding of where love comes from, what love is. And there's a really eye-opening element to this passage. Oh, I skipped something. Manifest. This is important. Merriam-Webster describes manifest when he says, in this the love of God was made manifest uh, as to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. Manifest is an image. So in order to understand our correct standing as images of God is love, we see God is love in Christ. Made manifest. And there's a really 
eye-opening element to this passage. I said that before. <laughs> um, and this is something that really, it, it comes across as kind of weird, but it really stuck with me this week. And I'm going to go back to that Walter T. Connor quote that I quoted earlier, where he said, love is the essence of his being, and no thought of God can be inconsistent with love. Walter T. Connor also said, Christ did not die to win man for man the love of God. He died as an expression of that love. In fact, John says this even better. A little bit further down in our passage, in 1 John 4, 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Or, we love because he first was love. That is the new Bobby translation. And this is, the, this is what I was referencing as kind of the weird thing to wrap our heads around. God did not send his son in order to provide us his love. He didn't even send his son because of his love for us. Both of those statements are true, but only in part. To understand the whole of our salvation, we have to understand that God sent his son because God is love. In fact, God couldn't and wouldn't have done anything other than send his son because sending his son is the very outpouring of his essence and his character on us. 1 John 4, 13 through 15 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So God is love. As a result of God's character, his essence of love, he sent his son to provide us the image of his character of God is love. And then knowing that we can't correct our own standing, our own image-bearingness, in verse 15 here, we see the mechanism through which we can return to being correct image-bearers of the essence of God's character of love. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. But what's more than that is that Jesus is God is love. He's the outpouring of the essence of God. And I think it's really cool here. We can actually see how, by his very essential nature, the Trinity is working all in tandem at the same time in, in this work. In 1 John 4, 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son. So we see the whole of the Godhood, the whole of the Trinity, the whole of God's essence and being is wrapped up in this one act. The thing that made propitiation necessary was sin. Christ is that propitiation 
and his coming as our propitiation manifests God is love. 1 John 4, 9, earlier in our passage, says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. And the whole essence of God's character can be summed up in this idea. And we see it throughout all of Scripture. Proverbs 10:12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And there's actually an interesting footnote in ESV that sort of changes this translation a little bit, and I really like it. Um, 1 John 3, 16, instead of saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the footnote says, or this is how God loved the world that he sent his only son. Or there's a better translation. I bet you can't guess what it is. (laughs) This is how God is love that he sent his only son. That's the new Bobby translation again. So now John brings us back to that theme that he's been expositing throughout the whole book. The result of God is love and the result of him sending his son to reconcile us as image bearers of God is love. 1 John 4, 16 So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he's laid down his thesis. Faith in Christ is a direct result of God's essential character of love. How does this manifest? through us as reconciled image bearers of God is love. We come to 1 John 11, 17 through 21. This is the rest of our passage today. By this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So how does this manifestation of love show itself through us as reconciled image bearers of God is love? Well, John's been telling us throughout the whole book, love each other. But is that enough? Because the world can love, right? I mean, we look around and we see, I mean, the world can be self-sacrificial. The world can be caring. The world can be generous. We live in the 2020s, which is the era of acceptance. The world can be loving, 
We can't really say it's not love. But it's an incomplete picture of what love is. Those things are more results of love. Because to understand all of love, we have to have God. Because God is love. See, in our reconciliation to God, he gives us the ability to showcase his all-consuming love as an expression of his character. We become what we were meant to be, which is art reflecting the essential character of the artist. And thinking about that, I'd like to offer one last new Bobby translation, if I may. Instead of love each other, God is love each other. Walter T. Connor said, the last reality of the moral universe is the love of God, a God who is love. So as we reflect on and move through Advent season, we should remember this last reality, this essential characteristic of the very universe that we live in. It's the bedrock, it's the beginning and the end of everything. We should remember that God is so vitally love that as an expression of his essence, he sent his son to provide us reconciliation. And through that reconciliation to God is love, by the power of the Spirit, we then receive the divine ability to showcase, by loving each other, his all-consuming love as images, image expressions of his character. 1 John 3, 7, and 8. Sorry, 1 John 4. We're in 1 John 4. 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on your essential characteristic of love, we ask that you will just embed that in our hearts. Help us to know you more. Help us to understand you more. God, help us to focus our hearts and our minds this Advent season on Christ, on the outpouring of your essence of love toward us so that we could be reconciled to you and reconciled as image bearers of you. And through that, help us as we seek to love each other well and to build a community that expresses God is love by showing it to the world around us by loving each other.
these things we pray in your name. Amen.